What's up, guys? Chris Harry with you on a Week 10 edition of Chargers Weekly. We got a great episode ahead. Coming up, we're going to see what's on the menu powered by Subway with the voice of the Chargers, Matt Money-Smith. We'll also be joined by Jim Gray, who has a great new book out, Talking to Goats, The Moments You Remember and the Stories You Never Heard. He's going to share a few Alex Spano stories and some Kobe Bryant stories as well. But first, CBS Sports' Rich Gannon breaks down the rookie quarterback matchup this Sunday. Justin Herbert versus Tua Tunga-Vailoa. All right, my first guest will be in the booth this Sunday for Chargers-Dolphins. Herbert versus Tua, going to be a fun one. The great Rich Gannon joins me here on Chargers Weekly. And Rich, we got a treat, man. You're a a former MVP. You know a thing or two about quarterbacks. I'm, I'm sure you're excited for this one. You know, I, Chris, I am excited. You know, the more I watch our game this season, I think everyone uh, is rest assured that the future at the quarterback position is bright. You know, when you look at good young players like Justin and Tua and uh, Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, I mean, a couple of years ago, I had some real concern about the lack of depth and talent at that position. But you, know, you look at these young guys, how they've come in and played and played at a really high level, Justin in particular. I mean, he, you know, he, he gets thrown in, thrown in there week two and doesn't really even know he's going to play and has a terrific game against the, the Chiefs. And you know, each week he's played, he's, he's gaining more and more confidence. He's gaining experience. You know, he's playing well enough to win. I know it's been frustrating because the, you know, the, the W's aren't piling up, but he's put, he's put the Chargers in a position have a chance to win each week and that's all you can do at the quarterback position yeah you know rich before we get into these quarterbacks a little bit deeper you mentioned the chargers two and six all six games have been lost by a possession or less and you know if i just count the afc west games you know they, they led wire to wire against the chiefs you were there in denver they had a 21 point lead in the middle of the third quarter and then what you saw last sunday on the last play against the raiders if you have just half of those games go your way you're five and three and three, you know, in the division, but obviously it, it just doesn't work out that way. I just, I can't put my finger on why this team has been unable to close some of these close games. How about this? Three, five, seven, three, one, five. Sounds like a phone number. Three, five, seven, three, one, five. They lost the game by three, by five, by seven, by three, by one, by five. I mean, mm. these are all one four games. And, you know, I think part of it is, is learning how to finish late in games. I think part of that is running the football late in games when it matters the most. Talk about four-minute offense. It's getting off the field on third down. It's clock management. I mean, there's been some mistakes in terms of, uh, you know, managing situational football, even against the Raiders last week, not calling a timeout uh, in, 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 in that last series after the first play. I mean, there's, there's, there's things that have to be looked at closely. This is too good of a team to, uh, to be in this situation. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow. It's, there's a big learning curve, but, you know, usually you say, well, it's the rookie quarterback. He threw an interception late, didn't see a flat defender. Uh, you know, he, he went out there and, you know, he threw for 300 yards, but he also threw for three interceptions. That's not the case. I mean, yeah. this kid's been well, he's been taking care of the football for the most part. He's making good decisions. And so you have to start looking under the hood and saying, why aren't we closing out games like we should? And that's something I'm sure Anthony Lynn, the coaching staff are taking a good, hard, long look at. So I'm looking at Justin Herbert's stats through, you know, his his first seven starts, 2,146 yards, 17 touchdowns to five interceptions. He has four 300-yard games. What has impressed you most about Herbert from what you saw at Oregon 
translating over to the pro game so quickly, Rich? Well, I think the thing that really jumps out to me is his his poise, his composure, and his football IQ. And we know he was a three-time academic All-American. We know his brother is a freshman uh, medical student at Columbia University. This, this, this is a bright guy, you know, yeah. and he's, he's obviously uh, comes from good, uh, you know, a good family and, and uh, education is important to him. But it, it, he picked up the system so quickly. And that's unusual for a young player at that position, especially when you consider there was no OTAs, there was no mini camps, uh, there was no preseason games to speak of. And so, you know, he's really had to learn on the fly. And I think the way he's managed himself, the way he's taken care of the football, uh, you know, he, his feet, I think his feet tell you a lot when you watch him in the pocket, he doesn't have happy feet. He's, he's, uh, he's in control. He's in rhythm. The other thing that's really impressive to me for a guy that's six foot six is 237 pounds, his ability to extend plays, his ability yeah. to create offense, the unscripted plays, his ability to run for a couple first downs each week. Um, he's a really, um, he's a really gifted athlete. He's got to learn to, to do a better job protecting himself, not taking the unnecessary hits. He was given hits, to... Rich. He's given hits. Right, Chris. And, you know, he's got a bright future in this league. There's no question about it. I'm one of those 50 voters that vote for those postseason awards. Then one of them is the rookie of the year. And I think right now, when you look at how well he's played, he's certainly a front runner for the uh, offensive rookie of the year award. So I, I look at the success of Herbert and Burrow and what two has done in his first two games. And obviously, you can't take anything away from these guys. I mean, to have uh, an all-season program done virtually like this, uh, to get on the grass uh, officially late in July, and to do what you're doing, remarkable. But but I wonder, as a quarterback, when we start to get normal in the stadium, you're calling these games with no fans in the stands. Is that another layer that these quarterbacks, uh, maybe a test that they're going to have to pass later on in their career when, you know, Justin was awesome in the Superdome, but if that Superdome had 70,000 fans, the quarterback is affected a little bit. So I'm just curious, we're seeing the success of all these young guys, but they're going to have to pass another test when you have 75,000, 70,000 fans in the stands. You're right. That's a huge hurdle. And you look at the, uh, the, the records of, of home teams this year. And I think it's, it's certainly tells a story that home field has not been a a huge advantage because of the lack of crowds and the crowd noise and how that affects the opponents, especially offense and their ability to communicate the line of scrimmage. So that is another hurdle he'll have to deal with. But look, when you watch how poised he has been uh, at the line of scrimmage, uh, his ability to change plays, change protections, his huddle command, uh, I, I think that that's not going to be a huge deal for him. Although I can tell you that is a, a, a a real problem for, for quarterbacks as you go on the roads, particularly in the division. Yeah. Uh, it forces you to, to go uh, silent, silent snap count. It forces you to uh, eliminate some of your audibles. It forces you to, uh, you know, change your uh, check with me system. There's a lot of different things that even, the, even calling and communicating plays in the huddle, even hearing the play commitment in your headset. So, but he's a, uh, he's a smart kid that'll pick it up quickly. And, and, you know, just look at what he did in college. I mean, you know, didn't really call plays in the huddle, didn't really, play from under center and you look at how well he's done uh, and handled both of those uh, transitions. So look, I think the sky's the limit for him. I mean, he is, he's got a lot of the qualities and the intangibles that you really look and covet at the quarterback position. You flip it over to two, a, a smaller sample size, just two games. That first game defense did a lot of the work against the Rams, but that was a, a fun uh, duel between two young quarterbacks and Kyler Murray and two on Sunday. What have you seen from him early on in his career, Rich? 
Yeah, I think the first game, there wasn't a real good sample size. I think they were trying to transition from Fitz to Tua and, and just kind of working through what the what the plan was going to look like, how they would adjust the scheme. Certainly, he's got a different skill set uh, than Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's a left-handed quarterback, so that changes up some of your protections and things like that. I thought he was better last week. I thought his play speed was, was a little bit better. Uh, he's a very instinctive player. You know what I mean? He's going to be able to create and, and uh, extend plays. Um, you know, I think when you really go back and look at him in college, uh, I think you see some of the, the similarities in terms of the, the way he plays the game. Uh, he's got big playability. He's extremely accurate and he's a good decision maker. And, uh, you know, I think that's what he was at Alabama. You know, that's the reason why he, you know, threw for 76 touchdowns and only nine picks his last two seasons. You know what I mean? Uh, he takes good care of the football. He hasn't yet to throw an interception. Uh, but, you know, as he, he faces stiffer competition, he faces better defenses, uh, I think that'll be a, a real challenge. And the final thing for you, Rich, what do you think is going to decide this game? We've seen how the Chargers have played football all year long. They've been close games. They've come down to the wire. I look at Miami, and their defense is playing pretty well. I think they, they scored the first touchdown of the game uh, against the Cardinals. Uh, but what do you think could decide this one? I think two things for the Chargers. They've got to be able to run the ball a little bit better. You know what I mean? I know that's been a, a, a point of emphasis for Coach Lynn, something he's talked about as a former running back himself, just being able to rely on the running game a little bit. Uh, I don't know what Austin Eckler's situation is in terms of where he's at, but honestly, um, you know, they haven't been the same without him in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, speaking of not being in the lineup, Joey Boza. Uh, I mean, I did, did the game two weeks ago. Uh, against Denver and, uh, you know, not having Boza late in that game was huge. I mean, you know, uh, Denver had plenty of time back there in the pocket. Drew Locke had a lot of extra time. It certainly uh, affects Melvin Ingram as well. So I think if you could get a healthy Melvin Ingram and Joey Boza together, you know, we saw what that looked like a couple weeks ago against uh, Jacksonville uh, and for three quarters against Denver. So to me, that's going to be a big thing. You got, you're going to have to get around this young quarterback. You're going to have to keep him in the pocket where he belongs. You're going to have to try and get some hits on him early infect him and speed up the process for him a little bit. I think on the back end, and Gus Bradley does a great job of this. You have to disguise your intentions, force this kid to make as many post snap reads as opposed to pre snap reads, force him to read the coverages, force him to find the blitzer. Uh, and I think that'll be key for the Chargers on Sunday uh, on the road against the Dolphins. Well, Rich, I always love when you're on a Chargers game, man, and I always appreciate how gracious you are with your time. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us. Chris, thanks, brother. All right, Chargers fans, we'll get to Matt Money-Smith in a second. But first, access to school meals is more important than ever, as one in four students are now facing food insecurity. That's why Subway is teaming up with America's Dairy Farmers and Fuel Up to Play 60 this fall to raise money to help fight hunger in our local community. Head to your local Subway store before November 30th and donate your spare change at the register to fuel up the Play 60 and help tackle hunger and make sure local LA students have access to the nutrition they need. All right, time to see what's on the menu powered by Subway. Voice of the Chargers with me, Matt Money-Smith. Money Chargers 2-6 at the halfway point. Uh, we're starting to sense a theme here at the end of games. I was listening to Move the Sticks and uh, their 10 takeaway pod. And yeah. DJ mentioned the fact that you've called three game winners this year already that have gone the other way. That's really hard for me to believe. 
Well, you know, it's, it's funny. And just to kind of build on that, it, it comes from, it, we also had a conversation yesterday on, on Petros and Money with Mike Pereira. And we were talking to him about, you know, officials being gun shy right now, for whatever reason, they don't want to call touchdowns, or if they do, you know, there's an immediate conference. And it's, and it's just been a weird year. The fact that, you know, the Chargers have now had three, for me, as far as calling the game wins taken off the board. So, you know, just going in chronological order, most recent uh, back. So the side judge called it a touchdown right on Parham. So if zero is on the clock, I got to call a touchdown. The Chargers win the game. The, yeah. You know, Herbert's rushing the field. It's a celebratory. I'm freaking out and screaming and yelling. Uh, they beat the Raiders. It's great. And then all of a sudden, three minutes later, the Chargers didn't win this game. You know, last week, KJ Hamler catches that ball in the end zone. Side judge right in front of the play signals incomplete. No yeah. It's a fourth down. I say incomplete. Chargers win. Huddle, conference. Chargers don't win. Uh, in, in New Orleans, you know, for people that don't know, we call the away games off a monitor. And the camera that we were watching the field goal on was focused on the line of scrimmage and it didn't carry up to the uh, officials. So it was just focused on the offensive line. And when Badgley hit that kick, they all immediately put their hands up and start high-fiving each other. And I called Chargers win, only to find out that Badgley pushed it right and lose. That's three times now that I've called a Chargers victory, uh, only to have it taken off the board. It is, it, look, everybody says the same thing. We, we've never seen anything like it. No. No, we haven't. And if those three wins go the other way, you're five and three right now. Um, And I I focus more on these division wins. That's what stings the most. The the Kansas City game was wire to wire. Uh, We know what happened in Denver and we know what happened last week. Those three wins, man, you're five and three, three, and oh, in the division, you're right in the mix here. And instead, we're at two and six. And while we should be celebrating the success of Justin Herbert and, you know, beating some of these uh, elite teams in the NFL, we're, we're kind of just talking here at, at a loss at two and six. Yeah. Like, how is this happening right now? Um, and it's it's something different every single week. We, you and I, you know, we're starting to have the same conversation we here. Are. Um, and, and I think that's what's that's what's tough. It's like, man, what do you say at this point? Well, and I think what you got to be careful of is is falling into the same trap, right? Which is, well, this this is your quick fix. You know, we've talked about special teams and, you know, look, special teams got them again. You know, KJ Hill muffs a punt. That's right in Charger, you know, deep in Charger territory. The Raiders get three points out of it. And that's now a five point lead instead of a two in the fourth quarter. And yep. instead of needing a field goal to win the game, you need a, you know, you need a touchdown. Uh, I thought Ty Long struggled again in that game. You know, you either got to kick it far or you got to kick it high and right now Ty is doing neither and I think that's leading to the Chargers struggles a little bit but I think beyond that like we were talking about it on on you know because we got to do four hours a day on the radio show and there's plenty of time to kind of rehash these things I said look I think a lot of people are coming after coach for time management and I think it's fair I I think they could have managed the clock better I said but Herbert's the guy pulling the trigger on those throws in the middle of the field you know short throws to Josh Kelly that are going for five yards when you're under two minutes so it's like there's multiple plays that lead to only having four or six seconds uh, on a second down at the goal line. It's not just the coach thought there was going to be a measurement. There wasn't a measurement. 27 seconds runs off right there, and you still end up using one of your three timeouts. What a disaster. There's other things that come into play. Um, and, and I do think the one thing that is consistent is we're talking about execution or lack thereof. Yeah. And to me, that's just, you know, look, I, it's on coaches. 
uh, and players together to execute uh, in the game's most critical moments. We know champions execute. That's the difference. You know, when your backs are against the wall in the Super Bowl and you're down 10 in the second half, you execute that toss to Tyree Kill to turn the momentum in your favor. And I think that's just kind of the one thing that has been threaded through all of these losses is when you absolutely have to execute, whether it's on defense or offense or not committing a penalty or special teams, the execution is just missing. Yeah. You know, defensively, the end of that second quarter, Tillery gets the strip sack, you kick three, momentum is is tilting in, in your favor. And we talk about the execution 100% at the end of games, you got to execute. But then you have some of these just lapses where, you know, Aguilar goes for a 45-yard touchdown, Renfro 53 yards. Um, these big plays that are shifting momentum and tilting it in the favor of the Raiders, Raiders so quickly money. Like at halftime, you're like, all right, we got some momentum. Let's see if we can finish these guys off. And then the Raiders, they hit you first in, in the second half. And I think that was kind of the turning point. Yeah, you know what's funny about that too, though, is we talked about it last week. Like, believe it or not, um, would I like those explosive plays to disappear? Yeah, I'm. Look, Derek Carr does not beat you that way. You know, yeah, they you said they that had, last week. You know, they had to shut down that running game. They they were sealing the edge, and they were getting eight, 10, 12 yards on every carry, whether it was Josh Jacobs or Devontae Booker. So I understand committing resources to slow that down. To me, that's it's on Casey. You know, Casey got burned on both of those passes, and I think. Look, the Aguilar catch is a beautiful route. It was a perfect pass. That's Casey, I thought, had good coverage on that. There wasn't much he could do. Um, you maybe commit some safety help over there. It looked like Nas was a little bit late trying to get over for help there because there was no route on the other side. But to me, that was just a great play. You know, I applaud the Raiders. Well done. You never take those shots. But the Renfro play, if you go back and watch it, and I don't know if, if Casey just assumed well, it's been a while. The play's probably over or something like that, you know, but car breaks and, and he normally does not make plays like that, right? We've seen him enough times to know that's not really in his bag of tricks. And, um, you know, Casey just kind of, that's all, all it takes is what, a fraction of a second. He lets up, Renfro pulls away, car sees it, and it's too late. Um, so again, like, yeah, those were two huge plays. They led to touchdowns. At the same time, I, I said it, and I'm going to stand by it. I'd, I'd rather see those plays, when it comes from the Raiders, beat you than the death by a thousand paper cuts and just watching Carr in a soft zone, check to Waller, because Waller did not have a great game. They did a great job of trying a, a bottling him up for the most part. They lost him on that touchdown. But um, I thought the defensive game plan was was pretty sound. And, and you know, I, I think to add to that, just to make a long answer longer, you miss Bosa. Yeah, you missed Bosa on yep, that edge, I was gonna say. particularly in the run game. Yep, you missed Bosa, and that was my my next uh, yeah. point. Is the the running game set up those big passes, right? I mean, 160 exactly. yards on the ground, six yards a pop, um, getting to the quarterback and Joey Bosa. Th those two things are synonymous. But but Joey's really good against the run too. He's the so, best. Yeah, it's, so, so to he's not have him in football at it. I mean, that's, yeah. he, that there is no defensive end in football that is better at that than he is. And man, was he missed. He was missed. And then just not having him out there, it affects the other pass rushers, Ben. They did not. I think Carr was hit maybe three times, sacked yeah. once. That's not enough. Not with two backup tackles, you know, not, not, not with two guys that are both back, you know, that are both backups out there. So that to me is, yeah, you you got to win. You got to win those one-on-ones because there's one-on-ones out there. And like you said, Tillery had that 
you know, had a pretty good first half, you know, had, had, a, had a really good first half, actually. He had pressures. Uh, he had the strip sack for a turnover that led to three points. Um, but, I, you know, and I asked Coach after the game, and he didn't give me a straight answer, which was fine. I think he probably wants to not make it sound like he's making excuses. I have, but something's got to be going on with Melvin Ingram. Like, I, I just, you know, he was on the injured list. He's come back, and I, I think he's just such a competitor and a great teammate that he wants to be back out there, but he just does not look like himself. And, and the fact that here we are through eight games, what has he played? Four or five? I don't remember if it's four or five. That he's yeah. like, he don't have a sack. He's at least without have a sack. sack. He, he doesn't really have a, a whole mess of hurries um, or hits. So I just think there's something going on there um, that they're trying to sort out. And you can see it by the way they're trying to move him around the line. And he's running up and down that line and sometimes hitting, you know, interior gaps. Sometimes he's stacked on the outside with Bosa. And it's just for whatever reason, I think maybe there's something going on there with Melvin. So money, we flip it forward to, to Miami and, the obvious storyline is is Tua versus Herbert. That's going to be fun. But the Miami Dolphins are playing pretty good football right now. Um, the, the Rams a couple of weeks ago, they, they suffocated the Rams. Four turnovers. Um, it was more of a shootout uh, last week against Arizona. But they started the game with a, uh, I think it was an Agba sack, which led to a Shaq Lawson picking it up and going 36 yards. So uh, the Chargers are getting Miami, uh, who are playing at their best right now. Well, and, you know, who knows what's going on with Balaga. I thought Turner might be out there. That'll be a huge boost if they can get him back. Uh, and if Balaga's back is is cooperating, right? So if you can at least get that side of the line settled. And because, it, you know, look, if you can get that, and the way the, that, that Balaga ran, the way that, you know, Troy Main Pope, if he comes back off concussion, was running, you just you got to establish that. You cannot allow them to to just start teeing off on a pass rush like they were doing with Jared Goff because – you mentioned it. They, you know, they they scoop Manny Ogba off the scrap heap, and man, he's he's been a revelation. He's been fantastic. So, you know, they when they're healthy, secondary is really good. Um, but again, you know, as good as that defense is, as much as we want to celebrate him after the Rams game, my gosh, Kyler Murray threw for what three hundred plus, three touchdowns, rushed for a hundred. We know. Certainly, we've seen it enough times. I mean, Justin Herbert throws for three hundred every time he goes out. There's no reason to think he <laughs> can't do sleep. the same, right? You know, and the fact. He's starting to use his legs a little bit more. I still, I also think that's going to have to be, uh, that's going to have to be used more. Those RPOs where he is keeping, he's got to pull that ball more. Those lanes are there. And I think it just adds an element of confusion and second guessing to the defense. You know, I, I feel like he's got to do that more often, even if it only goes for two yards or one yard, uh, because you're going to pop one or two. And then that just kind of changes the mentality of that defense for the rest of the game every time they see that mesh. No question. And you know what? He just needs to protect himself. If he protects himself, that is a weapon. That's an extra layer to this offense. And, you know, we should mention, by the way, Austin Eckler's not in the football game, you know, and what he means to this offense. um, I love seeing Herbert get the ball to T. Billy for 50 and and throw to Parham at the end of the game. Uh, but when you're without a star like Eckler, man, he he makes such a difference, huge difference. It, a huge difference of what the Chargers do. Uh, what have you seen from Tua? I, I know it's a small sample size, man, especially that Rams game. It was it was more uh, yeah, of a defensive effort. Yeah. But but last week against Kyler Murray. Yeah. Watching watching that game back. What I saw was what I saw at Alabama. Just very, you know, just to use the scouting terms and steal those, because it, I think it, it does make sense. I think you can see it in your mind's eye. They say twitchy. That's what it looks like. It's twitchy. It's just explode. The ball explodes out of his hands. 
uh, he is so quick to diagnose. You know, he, he recognizes the open man and that ball is gone the second he recognizes it. And by the way, it's accurate. I mean, pinpoint accurate. So that's what we saw. Um, he's not the athlete that Herbert is. You know, he's, he's not Kyler Murray. He's not, he's not Justin Herbert. He's not that kind of athlete. But he's enough of an athlete to move around and escape. And you saw that as well. There were a couple pressures there that looked like he was dead to rights and he managed to get out of it. Uh, on one play, scrambled on another play, was able to throw it downfield. But I think more than anything, what you get from Tua, and, and I think there are attributes that, that go a long way in this league, and that is quick processor. He's a quick processor, and the ball is accurate. And when you, when you combine those two things, and you think about, like you said, the struggles that the pass rush without Bosa has had, that can be dangerous. You know, you better be tight in your coverage. You better be tight in the middle of the field um, or else that can really get you. Um, so I, I think it's going to be a challenge. Uh, if what we saw in Arizona was, was what he's capable of doing week in and week out. But again, you know, Justin Herbert's putting up points. So it, it probably comes down to, you know, unfortunately what we saw again this week, which is turnovers, you know, and the, the Chargers had the advantage. And when they had the advantage, they were able to stay, you know, on top or likely win that game. When they lost that advantage, it got away from them. So I think that's going to be critical again this week. The final play of the game, Matt Money Smith is going to have to be on his P's and Q's, man. Every every week here with this Chargers team, right? The funny thing is, like before, you know, I think it's been now, it happened before the Bronco game, and it happened, you know, when they were two and four, and it happened at two and five before the Raider game. You know, DJ looks over at me, and as we're looking at the boards and kind of who's playing, and we're like, I think this team could make a run, you know, and and this, and this is the last week. You're going to have to go 10 and six. They, they're they're going to have to win out. So, you know, but at the same time, I still look at it and I say, you know, I you beat the Dolphins, then you get the Jets. After that, you know, Gus knows how to beat Josh Allen because it's the same recipe he used to beat Lamar Jackson. You know, you rush three, you drop eight, and you force them to throw in the windows. And after that, you saw the Patriots are not very good this year. And next thing you know, you're at 500. Um, that's a lot of ifs and and hopes for a team that is two and six, but if you can, if you can win this quadrant, this, this quarter, these four games, I do think it's in front of them and they're going to get healthy and Chris Harris is going to get back and, and Austin Eckler is going to get back. And if you can somehow figure out how to, I'm going to say the next two, if you can win these next two Miami and New York, I think you're going to get those guys back. And I think if you're able to get that other defensive back out there, and Eckler in the backfield, this is a team that can be really, really dangerous. Got to keep hope alive. Yep. One more week at least, and uh, then you sure see do. what happens, man. Money, always appreciate you, brother. All right, good luck to your Wildcats this week, too. That might be the game of the Ooh, week in the Big Ten. How about, how about those Cats right now? Right, little uh, undefeated battle between the Cats and the, the Purdue Boilermakers. Looking forward to that one. Let's go. Thanks, buddy. All right, man. All right, Bolts fans, before we get to Jim Gray, this season, Pizza Hut, they're hooking it up with a Bolt to the Hut bundle deal that includes an exclusive Chargers poster. For $14.99, Chargers fans will receive a large three-topping pizza and a Chargers poster. Right now, it's the Hunter Henry poster that's available. Collect all six player posters throughout the season. Visit PizzaHut.com deals. Enter your zip code to see if your local Pizza Hut is participating in the greater LA area. Offers available for pickup or delivery while supplies last. Talking to ghosts, the moments you remember and the stories you never heard. It's out now, and I'm here with the author, Jim Gray. Jim, it's a pleasure to have you. How you doing? I'm great, Chris. Great to be with you. 
what an exciting week for you. What was it like putting this project together? Oh, my God. It was really hard. Really hard. I had a lot of help, uh, fortunately, from first my wife, who's lived through this for the past 30 plus years. Uh, and, and then Greg Bishop, great writer from Sports Illustrated. Uh, he wrote the book with me. Uh, he was the one that uh, organized all of this, uh, you know, tens of thousands of interviews, all of these events that we have, uh, uh, that I've covered over the course of my career and transcripts and tapes and all kinds of uh, DVDs and everything. And he went through it all and he put it all together and, and, and really just uh, brilliantly wrote it for me. And uh, I'm grateful, so grateful uh, to Greg for all of his hard work and dedication. But this was hard. This was hard, Chris. You know, anything that takes three years and, you know, you're, 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 you're wanting to present something for the reader to, to enjoy, to learn, uh, to be able to take maybe use for good for future generations, to see the triumphs and the tragedy and the trials and all of the things that all of these guys who, who have standing on the top step of the victory platform, what they go through to get to that place. And it's, it's hard and uh, it's hard for them. And this project, uh, I had no idea what it took to write a book. I really didn't. Well, I tell you this, it's the best of the best. It's the most influential and recognizable people in the world. You know, we, we talk about Muhammad Ali, Lucille Ball, uh, the fact that you were roommates with John Madden and Yoko Ono was across the hall. I mean, Jim, I, I don't even know where to begin. Like when you put this together, you said it was one of the hardest things you've ever done. Like, how do you even do it? Well, you you, you have to try and, and, and figure out, you know, it's it, it, again, I go back to my wife and, and Greg, you know, this is only interesting to you, Jim. Uh, and it's interesting, but there's a reader out here. And there's somebody who's consuming this. And so your stories are fun and funny, but do they rise to the level of being in a book? Do they rise to the level that will attract somebody to say, you know, A, either I didn't know that or B, you know, I want more. So um, I worked for Bud Greenspan and Bud Greenspan was a great historian and Olympian uh, documentarian, uh, sports historian. And uh, he, he did all kinds of great stuff over the years. Jesse Owens returns to Berlin, the Wilma Rudolph story, the last African runner, won a gazillion Emmys, and he was just brilliant. And he used to say that it said that a picture captures a thousand words. And I say that a word captures a thousand pictures. Mm. So I, I was trying to keep that cognizant in my mind and be able to... Um, ascertain that how important a word is and you don't have to use a lot of words you have to use the right words and and that's what Greg did and I you know I'm I'm hopeful that you know whoever consumes it will be as happy with it as we are <laughs> they'll be the judge uh, well they'll be very happy when they read it and I, I want to ask you about Kobe Bryant because for the Chargers he was a neighbor you know his offices we're right next to Hogue Performance Center. Uh, when the team moved to Los Angeles, he spoke to the team before training camp in 2017. He's spoken to the team on other occasions. Um, this rocked the entire world, but you, you break it down. It, it was an international story, a national story, a local story, and a hyper-local story. And for you, you knew Kobe your, his entire life. 
what was that day like for you? And I, I know that there's some stories in this book about Kobe being Bryant. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's 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 heartbreaking. It's just you just you just never expected. Not that you would expect anybody's life to end short, but I just I just never thought, you know, I was I'm 20 years older than Kobe was. So, you know, that's not the natural progression of anything to see such a vibrant young man uh, who was just, you know, getting involved in so many different things that he had left behind his basketball career. And and so when 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 I heard this, you know, there's 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 this feeling that you have that's, you know, undescribable because it just doesn't seem real. You understand what I mean? It's not denial. It's just like, that can't be. I mean, yeah. you know, Kobe's going to walk away from that crash. Uh, Kobe's, Kobe's going to figure out how to, how to, how to, you know, live. So, you know, you, you just kind of, it, it becomes surreal. And then the longer and the more you hear, you know, it starts to sink in. And, and then of course you just, feel grief and, and, and you mourn and, and you mourn for those who loved him and, and those who depended on him, his girls, Vanessa, um, you know, his family, his sisters, uh, Sharia and, and, and his parents and uh, Pam and Joe. Uh, so, and then the Laker organization and his fellow teammates and, and all the people he won championships with and all the people he touched and, when he became a girl dad, all the girls that he was helping and, and all of Gigi's friends and, uh, you know, all, all, all of his older girls' friends, Natalia and so forth. So it just becomes a stream of thoughts. And, 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 and then you start thinking back to the last time you talked to him, the last time he texted you, the last time you saw him, what you did. Was there anything left, you know, that you, you might have wanted to tell him or anything um, or, or just to simply, you know, share another Coca-Cola or in his case, water, <laughs> uh, body armor. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Body armor. Right. Jim, you've said before, uh, everything he's done behind closed doors, all these kind acts to others, whether it was make a wish or, you know, speaking to a team like the Chargers, trying to give them motivation before a game or before a season. I don't know if you could just speak to the person that Kobe was off the court, uh, inspiring others. You know, we talk about that Mamba mentality behind me. Um, he tried to pass that along to fans, to other athletes. He always tried to pay it forward. You know, Kobe wasn't one of these guys who wanted a camera around when he performed acts of kindness. He wasn't looking for recognition and he wasn't looking for accolades. He wasn't looking for somebody to say, look at him. I notice what you're doing. So that's true giving. And that's true character. That when, you know, what do you do when no one's looking? Sure. You know, and, and people wear the wristbands, the religious wristbands. What would whatever religious leader who you follow wear? I mean, what would whatever religious leader do? And, you know, and then they try and, you know, remember that in those moments. So what Kobe was doing was giving of himself of good because he knew the impact that it had. This guy was very self-aware. This guy knew who he was, knew the impact that he had, and knew just exactly this was a methodical, well-thought-out, highly intelligent, 
precise and an an acting guy. And he was enacting and and fulfilling the vision that he had. Now he wanted to tell stories and he wanted to tell, tell children's stories and he wanted to be a girl dad and he wanted to make sure that he didn't miss anything in those kids' childhoods because he had given up a lot of it while he had committed himself to playing with the Lakers and the NBA. So, you know, this is a subject that, that I could have really written chapters on. And I tried to just make it, you know, concise. Uh, again, uh, my relationship with him is always going to be carried right here in my heart. My wife was close to Kobe as well. Uh, she did his first commercial ever. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and my feeling toward, uh, uh, Vanessa and Pam and Joe, um, is, is, is one of where my heart breaks and, and for his, and his, for the three remaining little girls and Vanessa is, has got a, a road in front of her and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's horribly tragic because uh, she's not going to have that guy who was so much to so many, but mainly to her to be with her. And when we think about Kobe, we always want to think about the positive, uh, the fond memories, uh, the lasting images. Uh, what's your fondest memory of Kobe Bryant? Well, that would be hard. I, I knew I knew him when he was a, you know, in in his mother's arms. I knew him as a toddler, uh, an infant. So I mean, I've got a lot going on in there that that you know, when you say one thing is fond, you know, I guess I I guess I would just be. I guess if, if, if you could say this is one, it's not, but just to see what he became, yeah. to see what he became as a young man, to a superstar athlete, to a global icon, to a dad, to the, the I mean, the whole package, the whole package was just, you know, something that you could look at and say, you know what, here's a, here's a, here's a guy who, you know, did what he set out to do achieved success, helped others. Now he was tough. I mean, you know, people get painted in death, something that they weren't necessarily in life. Kobe, Kobe was a tough teammate and Kobe was a vicious competitor. And if you were in his way, it didn't matter who you were. He was going to run you over. Okay. So if you were a teammate that didn't want to cooperate and didn't want to do it right, he'd just get you out of the way. Okay. And, 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 it was successful and, you know, but he also had a tremendous amount of, of, of resilience. I remember when, when Dr. Neil Elitraj uh, repaired his torn Achilles and Patrick Soon-Chong was in there as well. And, and, and Neil, uh, you know, obviously feels the weight of the world when you're operating on these type of athletes. He's operated on Tom Brady, um, just a number of them, you name it. And Neil Elitrage has had his hands in fixing them. Tommy John surgeries and so forth. He's the doctor for the Dodgers, the doctor for the Rams, and he's down there at the clinic. So Dr. Elitrage, um, when Kobe came out of that surgery and Kobe had to do all of that work behind closed doors to be able to play basketball again at the level that he wanted to play, that he wanted to play. Yeah. Forget about what the public might expect. And their expectations had to come down somewhat after that, right? Had to come down from, 
you know, he's not going to be the same. Well, Kobe wasn't going to have that. He was going to figure out a way where if he wasn't the same player that he was before he got hurt, he was going to be better. <laughs> yep. He wasn't going to be the same. Now he might not have been able to do it above the rim or do it in, in, in the same fashion or, you know, but he was going to figure it out and look at what happened. He did. He did. He was not going to be the lasting impression was not going to be of him, you know, limping off the court and, and, and not being able to, to perform. So he came back and he performed. And uh, so I kind of like what he said to me that the last interview he ever did in a Lakers uniform was with me uh, the night after he scored 60 points. And I said, Kobe, the last question he was asked in a Laker uniform, I said, Kobe, how would you like to be remembered? Well, first I said, are you sure about this? You just scored 60 points. Yeah. Might you want to rethink this? And he said, no, <laughs> I did not. I said, how do you want to be remembered? And he said, I want to be remembered. He said, Chris, as a guy who was given all the talent in the world and worked like he had none. Mm. Mm. And that says it all about him because that's what it was. That's who he was. Jim, there's countless stories in this book. I, I wish I had you for hours, but I, I want to get to a couple of these Alex Beno stories because I've heard a couple. I've heard you tell me a couple. You have to explain to our listeners and our viewers, I guess the story with Bob Hope. Uh, it feels like, honestly, Jim, when I first heard it, I, I felt like this was like written like a Hollywood script. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, 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 they couldn't have made that one up because it would have been rejected. <laughs> well, I had met, I had met Alex Banos uh, on a couple of occasions before I met him with Al Davis initially. And I was at the Jerry Ford golf invitation golf invitational president Ford at his golf tournament every year in Vail, Colorado. He had a home in Beaver Creek and Alex Spanos would come every year. Uh, and Bob Hope would perform one night at the, the Ford amphitheater in downtown Vail. Um, so, uh, I saw, I saw Mr. Spanos and he knew me from covering football and from Al and was always great because Al told him cooperate with him. You can trust him. And so, Alex heard that and Al had me sit in a meeting and, you know, Alex had no choice because Al didn't want me to leave the meeting. So, you know, but that, that broke the ice with Alex, with Mr. Spano. So anyway, he said, would you like to go home with us tomorrow when you leave? I'll drop you off in, in Los Angeles before I head up to Stockton. And I said, wow, of course, you know, who, what young guy wouldn't want to be able to go on a private plane and no question. Yeah, I don't have to drive down to Denver and get rid of the car and, you know, all that. So perfect. Anyway, so we leave. I get on a plane. Uh, he says, you got to be at the plane at such and such time after the round of golf. So I got there. Uh, and Bob Hope was sitting on in the front seat of the plane, you know, right? I say, wow, Bob Hope's riding with us. Well, we go to land and and well, Mr. First, Mr. Spanos gets on a plane. He said, we're taking Bob Hope. So we'll go to Palm Springs. We'll go to L.A. and then I'll go into Stockton. So he was like running you know, running an airline, a puddle jumper for us on this big, beautiful, uh, you know, jet, private jet. Uh, it was, it was terrific. And uh, we ate hot dogs. Mr. Spanos liked to feed hot dogs. We had hot dogs. I mean, I, I ate, I can't tell you how many meals I ate with them. 175, 200, 80% of the time he gave me a hot dog. <laughs> he loved hot dogs. Anyway, hey, he's got good taste. So we land in Palm Springs and it's hot. It's the middle of the summer. Okay. It's very hot. So we land and Mr. Mr. Hope gets off and, you know, it was a great flight. And uh, pilot says, uh, 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 
as, as right before Bob Hope drives away, he gets picked up in a limo. They had the big limos back then, Bob Hope. And uh, he's getting picked up and uh, he, he, they say, you know, we have a problem with the plane. We think it's just the heat of the tires or something. I forget exactly what the, what the problem was. Anyway, so Bob Hope says, I'll sit with you guys on here for a few more minutes. Don't want to leave. Don't want to leave you alone. Anyway, the pilot comes back and says, we're going to have to stay overnight. We're driving back down to L.A. Um, because uh, it's an issue and it's too hot, so they can't they can't work on this now. So Bob Hope says, come on over. You stay at the house. And I keep waiting for, like, Alex to say, well, I'll get you a hotel or I'll get you a car or you get it. I'll get my own rental car or whatever. And so I, I kind of went back to the plane to get my luggage. He said, they'll get all that. You're coming with us. We jumped in the limo. We stayed at Bob Hope's house. Next morning, we had a great night. His wife, Dolores, was fantastic. And, and Alex Spanos was a man of inclusion, not exclusion. He put your arm around. He put his arm around you. He didn't give you the Heisman. He said, yeah. come on. So he treated me, and I was just very young. How old were you, Jim? I'm going to say at the time, I was probably 28, 29. Yeah, right around then. So he put his arm around me and, and said, come on. You're coming with us. Went over there. Dolores served us dinner. Beautiful house overlooking all of all of that valley. It's just spectacular. He's laughing. He's killing Alex all night, making jokes, telling him stuff. And they were good buddies. They had traveled all over for all those USO shows. And and sure. and Mr. Spanos, uh, you know, did a lot of a lot of wonderful things for Bob Hope and vice versa. And so anyway, next morning we, we get up, have a little breakfast, and we're leaving. And uh I say goodbye to Mr. Hope and nobody tells me we go back to the plane and we pick up our golf clubs and we go out to play Tamaras golf course. So it's me and Alex and standing there with the secret service is president Ford who had come home of some other, by some other means and <laughs> Bob Hope. And so now I'm playing with Alex against the two of them. And he just killed president Ford. president Ford was renowned for hitting people with golf balls. You know, in the tournaments, he would hit them and, you know, they'd have to apologize. And it was a presidential, you know, big faux pas at the time. <laughs> it was just it was just guaranteed that if he played in one of those tournaments, he was going to clobber somebody. So Bob Hope says on a first tee, right as President Ford is teeing off, he says, Alex, do you realize this is the first time I've had a foursome with the president where one of the people isn't a paramedic? <laughs> <laughs> And he just you weren't a paramedic. I mean, he had all of this really, you know, good-natured jokes, and he just yeah. rattled them all off. Anyway, make a long story short, me and Alex won, so we each got ten dollars. And I asked President Ford would he sign it, and he said no. That was for the Treasury Secretary to sign the currency. Wow, unbelievable! I'm telling you, you can't. You said that it would be rejected if you submitted it to a to a Hollywood producer, Jim. <laughs> Final well, thing, it, you know, it was it was it was it was great experience. And and Alex Spanos was a a wonderful guy, extremely philanthropic, um, cared about his community, loved his family dearly, and you know the Chargers were were at the heart of it. He, he wanted all the best for his players and 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 the team. Final thing, there was another story I heard with him and Al Davis, and I I just think it's so important for Chargers fans to hear 
Um, because, you know, especially the Chargers and Raiders are they're better rivals. They just played last Sunday. Uh, but you have a, had a really cool story that I'd love for you to share with the with our viewers. Well, better rivals may be on the field, but there was always a closeness in the Spanos era since they got the team in 84, I yep. believe. Um, so for these past 36 years, there's been a very close relationship with with the Davis family and Al Davis. And, and in fact, that's how I met Alex Spanos. Uh, uh, he came to Al Davis's office and I just happened to be there doing something else uh, with, with Al. Uh, I just finished up a practice and Alex had come and he wanted to figure out how he could purchase the remaining portion of the team and become the majority owner. And so I was sitting in there and we were talking for a few minutes and Al says, okay, Alex, how can I help you? And Alex says, he's a reporter. And, and Al said, yeah, he is. And he said, well, I, we, we can't talk like this. He says, he's with me. He can hear this. You can trust him. So whatever you want to say, go ahead. He's, he doesn't have to leave. And I was, you know, I was going to kind of leave anyway, because it wasn't, wasn't my place, but yeah, you stay there, Jim. So oh, Jimmy, I'll stay in that chair. I stayed <laughs> in that chair. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, um, Many years later, after Alex got the team, we all went to dinner with Al and uh, Alex. And uh, Al had asked me this question before, but he put it to Alex. He said, Alex, what, what's your mission in life? Um, what do you want to have, money, fame, power, glory, or love? And he had asked me the same question before many times, but the first time I said, well, I don't know. and, and Al's answer was power. And he told me if I didn't pick one, I'd end up with nothing. So he said power. And I, and I had asked him why. And he said, if I had power, I'd have money. If I had power, I'd have fame. If I had power, I probably would have achieved something glorious. And I don't really care about love. And it's a little more colorfully written in talking to goats. Um, <laughs> with a little, a little, little nicer language than we can express here on the air. Sure. Uh, this is a little nicer language. That's a little more, you get the idea. You read so he asked, he, he asked Alex that question and he gave him the five and Alex said immediately, he said, love, I love my team. I love my community and I love my family. And now paused and he thought about it like for two or three or four seconds, just a pause. And he said, well then Alex, if that's the case, you've won more championships in life than I have. Mm. And Al had had three Super Bowl champions at that point. Wow. So it was really touching. And it really spoke a lot to, uh, to Alex about what he cared about. Said he loved his team. Said he loved his family and he loved his community. And that's how he lived his life. Beautiful thing. It really is. And it's, it speaks to the character of Mr. Spanos and, and the Spanos family. Uh, you know, obviously everybody wants to win, but you look at life and sometimes there's, there's more important things. So, uh, well, you see, you see, you see how the Spanos family treats people. They're some of the nicest people on the planet, brothers and no sisters. And, and, and I know Dean and Susie best and, and their children, AG and John and, if you can't get along with them, you better take a look at yourselves. Yeah. And I know that 
there's always tough things that go on in people's lives, you know, losing games, tough decisions that have to be made, you know, people's, you know, and, and, and it's not always just a beautiful panacea, but these are some really, really caring and giving people. And, uh, you know, I know we're talking about the book, but, but, but I think over the course of time with performance and time, you know, the people out here in Los Angeles are going to come to love this team and, and they're going to be the Spanos family and the chargers are worthy of, of the support. There's no question about it. And, you know, we talk about just people in general, and this is why this book is so important because you got to know all these people on a personal level. You can speak to things that, you know, fans just see on television that you had a front row seat to all of this, Jim. And I'm so thrilled for you and thrilled that this book is out for the world to either listen to or read. Where can people get it? And you have to mention the Audible and everything that goes into the Audible book because there's some fun uh, little bells and whistles in that one. Well, you can get it at uh, wherever you buy your books, any of the great bookstores, your local bookstores, all the big massive bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Amazon.com, or you can go to TalkingToGoats.com, all one word, TalkingToGoats.com, and then you can order it right there from uh, wherever. They'll get it to you overnight. Um, and the Audible book, uh, the audio portion, uh, was, uh, was, uh, that was something, uh, I, <laughs> I love, I love this. Days, and, uh, it turned out, uh, really, really cool. And, and, uh, some, some people who I'm indebted to my friends, uh, uh, came and did some, uh, did some work on the book for me. So Vin Scully, the great Vin Scully, the best sportscaster of all of our lives. Um, he, uh, he, he, uh, voices the introduction to the book. Uh, Bob Costas, my dear friend who I worked with for a long time at NBC, who's the best of us now. I mean, he's the best of the best, Bob. Uh, he uh, is part of the preface, so he read the preface, and he also did the lineup. Uh, like a lineup card, he, he reads the table of contents, and it's, uh, it's very entertaining and uh, great. And then Tom Brady, uh, who has been my partner on Westwood One Monday Night Football and who I've interviewed hundreds of times, uh, uh, wrote the forward and he read the forward and, uh, I, I'm so honored that he would put his name on this book. Mm. Uh, I can't tell you the gratitude that I have for him and how, how, how that makes me feel. Um, and, uh, and I'm really thankful and grateful to Tom. So he reads the forward Carol Burnett, the last chapter, chapter 20 is I'm not writing another book. And the last page of this book is about Carol Burnett, who was somebody that I watched as a youngster. And it was in total awe of. So uh, Carol Burnett has a portion uh, that she contributes to the last chapter on audio, the great Carol Burnett. And uh, finally, Snoop Dogg, uh, who's been uh, a longtime friend of mine. Uh, Snoop Dogg uh, reads and raps uh, the acknowledgments. And so everybody whose name was in there uh, gets a little little flavor from Snoop. Uh, and so uh, that was a that's a big big thrill for me and a big treat. So. And I thank all those folks. Um, there's something for everyone in the audio portion. There's something for everyone in the audio portion and also the book. Talking to goats, the moments you remember and the stories you never heard. It's out now. Go get it. Jim Gray, it's a pleasure, sir. I really appreciate you spending some time with our Chargers listeners and readers. And you better believe they'll be getting that book. Well, the Chargers, you know, Al Davis used to say this. 
So you know what? The Chargers have greatness in their future. Al used to say, I can't take the Raiders saying and apply it to the Chargers. Everybody be upset with that, particularly Al and Mark Davis. But the greatness of the Raiders is in its future. But I'm telling you, the Chargers have greatness in their future. And the quarterback that they have now, mm. the players that are on that team, and that beautiful stadium that they're playing in, and the ownership that they have, it's a very, very bright future. And Chris, thank you for being so kind with your words and for taking the time to read the book and to, and to talk about it with me. Jim, the pleasure's all mine, sir. We'll see you down the line. Thanks, Chris. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us. A big thanks to Jim Gray, Matt Money-Smith, and Rich Gannon for joining me. And of course, thanks to you all for listening. Be sure to download and subscribe to the Chargers Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to tune into the final drive presented by Microsoft Surface after the game on Sunday. Complete reaction from the Chargers taking on the Dolphins down in Miami. Have a great weekend, and until next time, I'm Chris Hayreed.